The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. I'm sorry, I'm doing a voice. I will stop doing the voice. I liked the voice. It wasn't bad. You know, I thought uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> Listen, on the the live show, I started to get bored with my own voice, so I started to do it in the announcer podcast voice. I'm like, yes, uh, Damian Lillard, he scored three. You know, I got really, yeah, I got That's, into it. It's it's NBA Live 06 <laughs> reminiscent. Yeah, you know what it is. You know what it is. Lauren, I hope your week is going fantastic. Uh, I know you are going through a lot with work. You're busy, busy bee. Uh, I would say busy is better than not busy. That's my yes. own opinion. I prefer that. Um, but I understand being like overwhelmed. So I get it. Listen, the NBA is also in an overwhelming state right now. I Mm -hmm. will say that because obviously the games are underway as we speak. The Toronto Raptors are playing the New Orleans Pelicans. There are other games going on right now as well. Um, so the quote unquote second half of the season is underway. I say second half in quotes, in air quotes, because there's really only 25 games left, 20 set, something around 20 games left for almost every team. So it's more the last third of the season than anything else. But it is the most important third, that's for sure, because there are still a lot of playoff races, a lot of things that will come down to the last 10 or so games in the season. And these fringe moves, these marginal moves, if you will, Uh, that teams are making right now with the buyout market will be very interesting and we'll probably see play out over the next couple of weeks. One of those moves being the Atlanta Hawks firing Nate McMillan uh, off the heels of a subpar uh, so far start to the season. I I say start again in air quotes. It's been three quarters of a season, but um (laughs) It seems like the writing was on the wall with mm-hmm. McMillan, to be honest with you. We talked about it a bunch when we've brought up Trey Young on this podcast is that, hey, obviously there's something there between him and McMillan. There were the reports of of Nate McMillan. Even, actually, it wasn't even a report. It was a quote from Nate McMillan <laughs> saying that he just he seems like he had lost the roster yeah. and they, they're not really listening to him anymore. And when a coach is admitting that, you know that something is around Oof. the corner. So I'm, I'm not surprised by this. Mm-mm. But Lauren, I'm sort of curious what the aftermath of this is. And right. I, I tweeted it. I mentioned I'm like, I feel like Trey Young might be the next star to ask out. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people push back on that. A lot of right. people did. Um, uh, of course, Hawks fans were not happy with me. And I understand. <laughs> like, I would get mad, too, if it's like, dude, this is the guy we traded Luka Doncic for. What do you yep. mean he's going to ask out? This is right. ridiculous. We're curtailing everything towards him. They kind of they fired the entire front office and changed things up and hired Landry Fields and and Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver and, yep. Right. And they've they've switched it up so that he's happy with things. And now they've let go of a second coach after letting go of Lloyd Pierce. Because of the fact that Trey didn't mesh with Lloyd Pierce or Nate McMillan. And now uh, there's the report that they're thinking of hiring Quinn Snyder, which I like the fit. Yeah. 
I think that's good. I think for an offense that has struggled this season, that shouldn't be struggling. They're 16th in offense this season. And when you have a guy like Trey Young, when you have DeJounte Murray, guys like John Collins, Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter, you should be a better mm-hmm. offense. So Absolutely. I like the Quinn Snyder hiring. I just wonder if it's more of a stopgap. If this is yeah. a half, if like it's just you're kind of delaying the inevitable with the whole Trey Young situation. And it's crazy to say this because we're not that far into the Trey Young saga in Atlanta. So what do you think? Do you think he, he ends up being the next star? Am I am I being a little crazy on that? Or Yeah, you know, it, I don't think you're being crazy. I think and, and anybody is always going to push back when you see a franchise cornerstone, the guy that gets drafted, you the, the entire, not entire identity, but the franchise cornerstone. Yeah. You're always going to push back on the thought of him you know, asking out, leaving, whatever the case may be. But I don't think it's unreasonable at all because on top of the Nate McMillan stuff, I mean, this isn't the first, and I don't want to say like Trey Young issue. Trey Young is the root of the issue. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we've just seen multiple instances of friction within the Atlanta Hawks organization um, really just in this Trey Young era. And and again, yeah. I'm not suggesting he's the common denominator, but it just doesn't seem like they can get on the same page. It doesn't seem like they can just get everything firing on all cylinders, uh, with the exception, I guess, of that Eastern Conference Finals run a couple years back. Um, and every kind of everybody was sort of expecting them to build on that. And and personally, I think since then they've just continued to take step back after step back. And and I, I will give them credit for being willing to go out and making a DeJounte Murray trade for going out and, and, and being willing to shake up the front office. Um, and, but now you're at a point where it does feel like you're getting dangerously close to that quote unquote inevitable. Cause I think most people would agree that the state of the NBA people move, people switch. That's just how it works. I mean, I think that's just reasonable to expect. It's really just kind of a question of when, which is really maybe even a morbid approach. Good Lord. What up, um, Winston? <laughs> he is just, uh, he's on one tonight. But um, <laughs> but yeah, with Trey, I hate to say that it is inevitable, but it does sort of feel that way. And to me, you're now at the point where every single, and, and actually, let me throw this back at you. Mm-hmm. I think you're at a point where it's like, okay, we need to save this situation at, at all costs. So you do want every move to maybe get his stamp of approval on it to make sure that everyone is on the same page, the front office, you're all moving in the right direction. But the question I kind of want to throw back to you is, do you think that that's the right move? Is it the right call to put that much control in somebody's hands or does there need to be more of a balance? What do you, what should they be? What should they be doing? Because personally for a long time, I have been sitting here watching the situation saying it is just not going well and it just is continuing in the wrong direction. So I don't know what that answer is for them, but I do like the Quinn Snyder hire hire, uh, if that goes through. Yeah, if it goes through, we'll see what happens. I I think, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because the guests we're going to be having on later to later on this podcast is a Brooklyn Nets writer. He covers the Brooklyn Nets and what better way to talk about players taking control of a front office and their decision making than talking about the Brooklyn Nets. I think mm-hmm. the aspect of Ky- Kyrie and KD essentially just controlling every move that happens with the Nets is sort of a blemish on the whole idea of players having a a, a large say in what happens organizationally because they're always going to look out for themselves, not for the team aspect of things. And that is, at the end of the day, 
like not every player is going to be a good GM. Not every player is going to have a GM's type of mind. So when they're going out here and voicing their frustrations, it's it's important for them to be heard. But heard is different than we must act on this. Yes. And I think that's something that has to be late. Like that is something that has to be addressed from the get-go with a star. It's not something you can fix halfway through. Because as we've seen with other situations in the past, you can't just take away that responsibility from a superstar because it ends up being a trade demand. You need to establish that from the minute they get drafted, from the minute they sign on that like, yes, you are a huge part of this organization. We want you to be the building block, but let us build a team around you. Trust us with these decisions. And um, I think to a certain extent, like we've seen that with Luca and the Mavericks. Uh, I think there has been this trust, although there will always be questions of, oh, who knows? Maybe he ends mm-hmm. up getting tired. And yep. that's that's just part of having a superstar. Having yeah. the superstar means that you will always question and second guess whether they are content and happy. But I think with Trey Young, there's always the there's always the element of like, okay, have we have we given up too much control over this situation for it to ever be salvaged? And I'm not sure. I, I really am not sure at all if this is gonna be the case. But yeah, it it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in Atlanta because if it is Trey that ends up getting moved, now I have no idea what team would be interested in a guy like Trey Young because mm-hmm. he makes it so that like obviously the defense is, has been well documented how bad of a defender he is. <laughs> right. It's so hard to to rationalize for a team being like, "Hey, we're going to build our team around this guy." Mm-hmm. And also, a guy who whether you agree with the statement or not has if you're reading the tea leaves has not been the best of uh leaders in the yeah. locker room if you will. So now it's just like all right, so we're trading for a guy who hasn't necessarily been the best locker room guy, hasn't necessarily been that leader that we've we've asked of him, and also is so far off base with one aspect of the basketball, the, the 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 one of the most important aspects of basketball, that it makes it so hard to build around him. So, are you willing to mortgage your future for a player like that? Is he the type of player that you can mortgage your future for? I think Trey Young is a phenomenal talent, man. Like, there's no question. And I know this is this is being extra hard on him, but the man is an, a wizard offensively. He is one of the best playmakers and engines in the entire NBA. But it's these other questions that leaves you wanting more. It, it right. leaves a lot to be desired in other categories. And I think that's the, the interesting aspect of this. Um Let's shift over to two mm-hmm. buyout guys that mm-hmm. have signed. I think this is also another guy who has had a well-documented, mm-hmm. uh, you know, drama saga, if you will. Seems like everything that revolves around Russell Westbrook is like that. But he has ended up going to the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I personally would have liked him going to a different team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason I say that is because... The Clippers are in a situation with the trade deadline moves that they made of Bones Highland and Eric Gordon and Mason Plumlee and refining their guard rotation off the bench where I sort of feel like adding Russell Westbrook is not necessary. Like they didn't really need a guy of Russell Westbrook's abilities. Now, to be fair, he provides rim pressure. He provides like attack and, and moving with pace. And I think those are things that the Clippers desperately need. So, yeah. 
in theory, that should help. But the poor shot selection, the turnover-heavy offense that he likes to play makes me second-guess if he's really going to be playing a lot of minutes. And from what we've seen, from the quotes we've seen from Ty Lue, from other guys on the roster, from essentially Russ himself even, it seems like he's up for a big role. Like, he's probably going to start. And (laughs) I'm just not sure if that makes a lot of sense. Now, if, like, there's some kind of relationship there between Ty Lue and Russ and and there's an understanding that, okay, we're going to start you at the beginning, but if things don't work out, we're going to have to remove you from the starting lineup. If that understanding is already there, then maybe it could work. But we also said that with the Lakers. Right. And then we also said that with the Rockets. And then we also said that with the, you, you get what I'm saying? So I, at some I'm point, sensing a theme, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so hard because I, I have in my brain with this situation, I, I'm with you. I didn't think that it was really all that necessary and I don't love the fit. Um, but I do, I am kind of curious to see, okay, on a team that is probably embodied the load management philosophy the most in the entire league, getting a guy who is very much in the six man of the year conversation because of how he would just come in and put up numbers and, and just impact, I guess the game in terms of making his presence felt when he was in LA, when he started turning things or or, excuse me, when he was on the Lakers, uh, when he started turning things around, I can see the idea behind, okay, if we don't have Paul George, if we don't have Kawhi, it's pretty. It's going to be really nice to have this guy to throw in there and and just expect at least numbers from. Um, so I I can I can wrap my mind around that. But what I am really struggling to wrap my mind around is kind of more of what you talked about with okay, is he expecting this big role where he is supposedly starting? And I'm not saying that he is or he isn't. But if you have him in there with. Kawhi and Paul George, who are very, very good and skilled at getting their own shot and and getting their own shot in the mid-range specifically and Mm -hmm. and kind of taking advantage of matchups, I'm having a lot of trouble envisioning how Russell Westbrook is going to fit in. Fits into that, yeah. Yeah, and like you said, I like that you said that you mentioned the rim pressure because, I mean, he's very explosive, very athletic, but sometimes I think maybe people don't, they're quick to say, oh, well, the spacing is going to be off, so it's going to be bad. But there is a lot of value in rim pressure. So yeah. I'm going to see – I'm going to be intrigued to see how much emphasis and how much he kind of holds himself to being this – if he's this, you know, cutter, this guy that dives, or just where he fits in. Because I'm having trouble seeing it consistently and long I – mean, I, I hate to even say long term, but consistently being what – they think it could be i I just i'm having trouble with that and so it's it's a wait and see and personally i i do hope that he turns it around i hope that things look look good for him but um i just have trouble seeing him being like a key part of the formula that they end up putting out there uh to win a championship to win a champ because that's the goal right i mean that that's where they're at is they're like hey man we've we're spending all this money year after year and honestly maybe steve Ballmer doesn't even care because he's got a (laughs) heck of a team and he's got loads of money but it hasn't worked yet you haven't won the championship you're still doing the load management so where i mean we said on our trade deadline episode on our live stream i was a big fan of all the moves that they made and so you're doing all this. It's got to pay off at some point. What more can you do? You know what I mean? And so 
I'm curious to see how it looks, but it's weird how I felt really confident post-trade deadline, but now you throw Russ into this mix, and to me, it's not even necessarily like a a knock on him. It's just the fit that I'm having trouble with. Yeah, I think the ball is in Russell Westbrook's court. Um, I agree. In terms of how much he adjusts, how willing he is to change, uh, this really, in all, and honestly, is probably his last chance to be a rotation guy in the NBA. Otherwise, I think there will be teams that will come and and, uh, pick him up and maybe take him as an option, but those won't be championship contending teams. I don't think there will be championship contending teams that will be willing to take on the Russell Westbrook experiment. I really do think this is his last chance to really make an impact on a team that is their goal is to potentially win this season. And I think to your point about pressure, the Clippers have a ton of pressure this season. Like, man, you're in year whatever of, of Kawhi and Paul George, you have one conference finals run to, to, you know, make for it. And yes, it was the one and only conference finals run in, in the franchise's history. But when you signed up for Kawhi and PG, you signed up for more than that. So yeah, yeah, multiple championships. So yes, there's absolutely a ton of pressure with the Clippers. And now with Russ, it's just this added pressure. No matter the fact that he's a vet men guy, no matter the fact that he's, he's a guy who they signed off the buyout market, adding him into the fold just adds an extra bit of pressure there that wasn't there beforehand. Yeah. Um. Wanted to talk about K Love, which is another buyout guy who might have a certain level imp- of impact signing with the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you, from the Cavs' perspective and watching the Cavs this season, I'm honestly surprised they decided to buy him out. Um, yeah. I I understand why he fell out of the rotation. He wasn't making his shots. You know, obviously the consistency wasn't there, and and they were looking to go a different direction. His defense has not been good, and and obviously at his age, he's getting burned a lot more on pick and rolls. I get that. I understand that. But, like, when you're a young team like the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you're going into playoff games, you will need a voice like Mm -hmm. Kevin Love in the locker room. Doesn't matter if he's going to play five minutes. Doesn't matter if he's going to play zero minutes. Doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if he's going to play 25 minutes. You need a guy like Kevin Love in the locker room. Now you might be able to argue that Danny Green can replicate some of that. You think Donovan Mitchell, who's been in a bunch of playoff games, can replicate some of that. But having Kevin Love, who is a massive part of the franchise, by the way, he's jerseys getting retired, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Having him in the locker room, I think, is more important to the Cavs than it is to the Miami Heat. Now, from the Heat's perspective, I think adding that spacing— Adding a guy who can shoot, who can kind of make a couple shots for you in a playoff game is huge. Yeah. I would not be surprised if K-Love ends up swinging one single playoff game for the Heat this year. I really yeah. think that that's possible. And I think that's a missed opportunity for the Cavs. They mm-hmm. they they let that one fly. But what do you think with K-Love? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. Um, I, I, I really did like the pickup from... For, for Miami, I think it's in, intriguing. I think having, for all the reasons that Cleveland probably shouldn't have let that one slip, I think it's going to be a massive added bonus for Miami, who has been right at the doorstep of getting the job done and just hasn't quite gotten it done yet. And I'm not, I don't know that this is necessarily the year, but adding more and more pieces to kind of round out that formula and the veteran leadership and even the veteran leadership and experience, but also a guy that can come in and all of a sudden those shots start falling. He, he gets hot. I mean, 
I, I, I'm absolutely right there with you that he could swing a game uh, and it could just be the right one that they re- that they need or that changes things for them. So I liked the pickup for them. I'm still a little, I guess, fuzzy on how it all went down in Cleveland because J.B. Bickerstaff's quote on we just felt that this was the right direction uh, given the information that they had, and that wasn't the exact quote, but it was something to that effect. Um, between that and even uh, Jared Allen's quote saying, I thought he went out, I, I believe that was a real quote where he said, right, I thought he yeah. went out for milk carton or for milk and <laughs> yeah, cigarettes and he never came back. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I mean, this is a guy, like you say, you, you, you mentioned the, the key and the core uh, impact that he had. And so what a bizarre kind of departure I felt like, and, and I, I'm not saying that it was necessarily bad blood. I don't think it was anything like that. I just thought it was a little, a little bizarre. I, I wasn't used to buyouts kind of, going that way uh so i'm intrigued to see the impact with with cleveland i think danny green was a great pickup but i don't know that it was going to be what kevin love would have been so i agree with you that they let that slip um but i mean we'll kind of we're we're gonna have to wait and see because there are even like long-term potential plays for cleveland uh that i am very shocked that they moved on from kevin love uh, for yeah. those reasons, but maybe that was coming more from him than anyone else. And I mean, I yeah. guess with the signs, maybe that is probably the most likely uh, and most logical. Yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a good bet to make. Uh, listen, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of betting, want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or in Ontario, download the app using the QR code on your screen. 19 plus 19 plus. Please play responsibly. So with K-Love going to the Miami Heat, uh, Russ going to the Los Angeles Clippers, and Nate McMillan out of Atlanta, there is a little bit of a shakeup when it comes to the Eastern Conference uh, and especially to the Western Conference. We'll, we'll see what happens with these buyout guys. There are rarely, and like there's there's genuinely, it's, it's rare that these buyout guys end up being people who really change the dynamic of, of the NBA playoffs and the NBA championships. It's rare. It really is rare. I I can't remember the last time a buyout guy has significantly impacted your chances of winning an NBA championship. Um, On the other side of winning a championship is being a feel-good, being a fun team. And coming up, we are going to be talking to Brooklyn Nets writer Alex Sturm about the Nets, who are now a fun team. Who are now exciting. So stick tuned. Stay tuned, I guess. Stick tuned. I don't know what that is. Stay tuned. And we'll be talking to him in a sec. All right. We are joined by Alex Sturm, who covers the Nets for Nets Daily, uh, trying to uncover everything that went down with the Brooklyn Nets, the saga, and uh, sort of what's happening (laughs) moving forward. Alec, we appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. I uh, I don't know if we can cover everything that's happened with the Brooklyn Nets over the last few years, but we're going to try our best to <laughs> get into what's going on and what the future might look like. We're all still trying to figure yeah. it out a little bit over here. Well, we got to jump right into it. Like you said, as said, it's been a saga. I'm not even sure if we're going to be able to get to everything, but a lot has happened in the last three seasons. Is it sort of refreshing to have new vibes over in Brooklyn? I think I think it definitely is. Um, just from like just from a standpoint of coverage, right? The the drama became a little bit repetitive, almost, where it was all these personalities kind of tugging on each other. Um, and after the summer, I think 
it's it's really appreciated that the Nets did what they did during the trade deadline and kept things quiet and then just kind of made the move in the middle of the night instead of dragging things out for two months like uh like they did over the summer. Right. Yeah, the summer must have been exhausting to cover the team because of the the back and forth, the reports, everything that came with it. Um, you know, it's been a couple of weeks now since the Durant and Kyrie trades. How does it feel in the aftermath? Is there is there ho- like what's the overall feeling in Brooklyn now now that you guys have moved on from that I guess that part of the dynasty or that part of the franchise if you will? Yeah, I think it's kind of weird to say, but I think it's almost a feeling of familiarity for the Nets because this is kind of who they were Mm -hmm. back in 2019 and 2018 before they signed Durant and Irving. This is who they were when Sean Marks, general manager, first um, joined the franchise when he first began the rebuild. Um, Jacques Vaughn was there Mm -hmm. before the Nets, obviously before Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, obviously an assistant coaching role, but... A familiar face in Spencer Dinwiddie is back and a familiar vibe of kind of being an upstart team in that 5-6 seed in the East. It shouldn't be familiar, but it is, funnily enough. Yeah, I, I, I've i always, like, I loved those early Nets days because, mm-hmm. you know, and KD and Kyrie had, had attributed that to why, a reason of why they joined is just like the the culture, so to speak, that they had created with the bench and mm-hmm. obviously the coach Kenny Atkinson developing this like vibe of everybody's in it together. Um, I sort of get that same feeling from this team right now that you guys have. And it's, it's, it's cool to see how that will uh, play out over the next couple of weeks and maybe the the rest of the season, because it seems like there's a lot of mishmash on the roster, but it's, it's exciting so far. Yeah. I mean, the, the regime that we saw, with KD and with Kyrie coming in and kind of how the team operated, especially through the Nash kind of era and how they transitioned with Jacques Vaughn taking over when he was, you know, brought in or announced as the interim head coach. They started playing this switchy style defense. We saw Nick Claxton really emerge. But now that they've got guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, it's like a whole nother level of what we were seeing. Um, so how good do you think this defense can be? And what do you see kind of, the future of the defensive identity for the Brooklyn Nets being. Yeah, that's like spot on. The Nets under Vaughn finally lead into like the switch everything scheme that a lot of people have been talking about for a while. Um, and with all these new guys, all it seems like everyone in the league wants a 3 and D forward and the Nets have all of them all of a sudden. Um, they've leaned into the switch <laughs> everything scheme and they're, they're playing. It's funny because their first few games with this new team it was against teams like Philadelphia and New York these really isolation heavy teams. So you could kind of see the nets and just like sticking with James Harden, sticking with Embiid and guys like RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. And like, Oh, this is what the identity is going to be. They're not going to try. They're not going to try to overcomplicate it. They're just going to switch everything. And it hopefully will maximize the talent on these team. I think it also maximizes the skill sets of the defenders. Like what Dorian Finney, Smith, Bridges, Johnson, even Claxton are so, well known for in their positions defensively is the fact that they can switch out onto different positions and i think that provides a level of like an identity defensively if you will and i think having an identity for a team that i guess now is young like now you guys have a young team that you guys can can move forward so so building that identity out with the young team 
is is very interesting. And I I, I kind of want to focus in on Bridges specifically because his game has seemingly blossomed in the few games that he's been in Brooklyn, albeit it's a very short, uh, you know, <laughs> span. But he already had that 45-point outburst against the Heat before the All-Star break. Um, there was obviously, you know, the rumors of him potentially getting moved before the dead deadline and whatnot. And maybe that's also a possibility in the future. But what kind of potential do you see in Bridges just from the short amount of time that you've you've watched him? And, and you know, is that potential there to him potentially be a star in this league? Do you think he could be a centerpiece of what you guys are building in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah. Bridges is definitely a guy who, I mean, the Nets see him as a star. I see him as a star, someone who is going to try to make that all-star jump like in the next few years. Um, he's a fantastic off-ball mover. I think that's the first thing that kind of jumps off the page. Um, the Nets are kind of short on on-ball talent now, but he still finds a way to like silk through, and like his stamina and consistency is really fantastic. Um, and the other thing he's really good at is getting to his spots. He loves the mid-range area. He loves the elbows, um, the elbows of that free throw line, and just kind of he's always fading and he's using his long arms to get a shot over defenders. Um, and that caught me off guard a little bit, honestly, because I don't know I I don't want I don't watch every Suns game. They're on super late at night. Um, but I kind of thought of Bridges right. as like a three and D player. You know, he's probably staying in the corner a lot to uh, to help space for Chris Paul and Devin Booker. But he's not really like he shoots really high like frequency percentages the mid-range he really loves that area and that's the kind of thing that gives you hope right when you're trying to project as a star like is this someone who's gonna yep. do something off the dribble is this someone who isn't just gonna shoot from mid-range and attack the basket like once you see that multi-level scoring as people like to say you're like okay maybe this is something here i think that uh part of part of what happened when chris paul and devin booker went out earlier this season was that they they kind of gave the ball to Bridges a lot more throughout the season. And you saw how much that has, I mean, like at least from what I've seen this season, you saw how much that helped him develop in Brooklyn because now he has the, he's has a little bit of experience on ball. He's working in the pick and roll a little bit more. He's more comfortable making those reads. And obviously the sun's motion offense, them just consistently moving in, like you mentioned, playing off the ball. Well, it's helped him so much learn to score in different ways. He doesn't have to be your prototypical uh, go-get-me-a-bucket type, but he can move with the ball and off the ball. And I think that's that's a really important aspect to have for like a unique type of star, right? You don't have to have that conventional uh, go-get-me-a-bucket type of guy, but he, he brings a little bit of uniqueness to the way that he, he can score. So I, lo- I love Bridges. I think he's, he's a really interesting prospect. I hope you guys end up keeping him full, long-term because – to see him in this extended role with with the amount of usage that he's about to get in Brooklyn, um, it's always a, an interesting like basketball experiment, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, with with Bridges, I mean, it's so fascinating because we've seen guys get, I mean, take on bigger roles or get moved, whether they go in free agency via trade, end up in different teams, and even if they're they have a skill set of like a three and D guy, it's hard enough if you are a three and D guy to take that leap forward to being somebody that can create their own shot, even just staying in the system where you were drafted or or really just started gaining momentum. So to see Bridges, even though it is a small sample size, like S mentioned, it has been really impressive to see him kind of embody this and take it on. Um, and I mean, the Nets 
at least from where I'm sitting, the Nets are fun again. I like that. I it's it's fun. So do you see him as being this kind of key building block piece? I mean, I, it kind of sounds like maybe we might know your answer here, but you can never say <laughs> never in this league. So do you think there's any world in which the Nets still consider moving him this summer? Well, that that's the interesting thing, right? Because because like I said earlier, like the Nets are kind of like a young team now. Um, but but you look at it, and Mikael Bridges is 26 years old, and Cam Johnson's 26 years old. Um, those are guys that are like coming yeah. into their primes. Um, and the best case scenario for Bridges, right, is kind of like an SGA, where he's the young player that came back in the superstar deal, but he ends up being kind of the the most valuable piece, right? So for Bridges to make that SGA jump, he would have to do it quick. Like, he has to make up for a lot yeah. of lost time in this next year or two. Um, and it's the kind of thing where the Nets did not want to move him at the deadline. They were mm-hmm. up till 1 a.m. trading Kevin Durant. The deadline was in 12 hours, or less than 12, like 12 hours. And they were like, nah, we're good. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll trade Jay Crowder and whoever. But we're done making big, big moves. Um, but yeah. one of the teams that was most, like, interested in Bridges was the Rockets who have all the Nets picks for the next uh, four or five years or so. So if the Nets can get some mm-hmm. or all of those picks back, it's kind of like, is he worth moving? They don't seem to think so right now. Um, we'll, we'll see what they think in the summer. Right. In the summer, that becomes a very more interesting question because I imagine in the summer more picks become available for the – obviously like the Grizzlies were a team that was reported to offer four first-round picks for him. I wonder if that asking price remains the same. And also um, – with him being given the the free reign that he's going to have in Brooklyn to try things and experiment and obviously have the high usage, I think there's an opportunity there for him to show more of his game and therefore increase his value. So now instead of four picks, it's like, okay, maybe this is a guy who could be the centerpiece for a star package. Um, and I know, you know, earlier in the podcast, we haven't touched on it yet, but we are going to talk about Trey Young uh, at some point in this podcast, not, not with you, Alec, but like, that's, that's just an interesting thing to me to consider is like, okay, now bridges can potentially be no pun intended, the bridge to another star, um, to, you know, potentially be that guy. I'm not sure. But, uh, speaking of, of, of stars or maybe fading or dying stars, I wanted to talk about the Ben Simmons saga because it seems like, um, from the outside looking in, at least, things haven't changed much. Career lows in minutes, field goal attempts, points, pretty much everything. Um, there were obviously the quotes from Jacques Vaughn lamenting the frustrations with the situation. We had that report today that seems like Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas are going to be falling out of the rotation. Um, how do you think this saga ends and do you think there's any way that he ends up salvaging his career at somewhere if not in brooklyn um well first off that that report um i i I don't think that was totally accurate he he'll probably be playing like backup center minutes to close out the year and nick cam thomas will definitely be in the rotation too but you're not wrong that ben simmons has looked like a guy who doesn't who isn't all too interested in playing basketball this year um he, mm-hmm. I mean, he's coming off his back surgery. He is well, um, reported like mental issues, which is like, that's, that's what's going on with him. Um, and it's the kind of thing where he doesn't show up consistently playing aggressive on the court. Um, I think that the Nets and the Nets stars who are no longer on the team 
and his teammates and his like organization wishes that he was more aggressive out there. Um, I don't think there's a total, I think there's a bit of a disconnect as to where he thinks he is and to where everyone else thinks he is. Um, I do hope that he, he gets it together and that hopefully next year will be a bit of a revitalization for him, a full season after that surgery. But right now it's, he's like fighting for minutes with Dayron Sharp and you can't even blame anyone because he's a net negative in every single way when he's on the floor. Yeah. 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 I mean, outside of Simmons, you still got, I mean, there's still some guys and are lots of guys, not even some guys, there's lots of guys. And we kind of see that in situations where you do have this massive trade, like what happened with Kevin Durant um, and even Kyrie. Um, So, I mean, you've got, Royce O'Neal, Cam Thomas, like like you were just talking about, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, uh, Patty Mills, Yuta Watanabe, uh, lots of guys. Where do all these pieces fit in? You mentioned Mikhail Bridges being 26, Cam Johnson being 26. Uh, with this being a playoff team, even though they are young, they've got all these interesting pieces. Where do they fit, and what does a playoff rotation end up looking like? Well, that's kind of the issue, right? Like, like... Someone someone pointed out to me the other day, the Nets traded two good players for four good players. And even though the players they got in aren't as good as Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they all need to play. So the rotation just got a lot bigger, but you can only play so many guys. And at a certain point, when you go down the roster and you say, who is better than Ben Simmons right now? You end up naming 12 or 13 dudes. And it's tough, but that is the reality <laughs> of the situation. Um it's like he's not better than Royce O'Neal. He's not better than Cam Thomas. He's not better than Yuta Watanabe. He could be, but he's not right now. And the Nets, the Nets are like one loss out of home court advantage in the Eastern Conference. And the the owner is desperate to show his fans that there's still still a competent basketball franchise who is trying to win games, even without three superstars that they ran out of town. So it's it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised to just kind of see Ben Simmons float away. I don't really answer your question. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the playoff uh, rotation is going to look like. That's 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 what the next like month is for. <laughs> because I wish I did. Honestly. Yeah, we'll yeah, see. for sure. <laughs> it's tough. Nothing wrong with having guys, though. Nothing wrong with having guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, having like ten yeah, guys yeah. is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like being fle- I mean, and also to be fair, I think uh, Coach Vaughn has shown like a flexibility and a fluidity to try things. And when you have a plethora of players that you can throw out there, um, there's just the ability to try more things, right? You can you can try different lineups, you can try different schemes. Uh, obviously, they like their switch heavy, like all three and D type scheme, at least from what they've shown early. Um, but yeah, there's, there's different ways that this team can play. And I think that's part of what makes them so exciting and so intriguing. Um, speaking of the playoffs, the Nets are 10 games above 500 as we're talking right now, two and a half games ahead of seventh in the East and seven games ahead of 11th. So they've built themselves a really good cushion. Um, and I think this team is good enough to, to sustain that cushion, but I guess my question to you is where do you see them finishing this season? Do you think they still end up, uh, as a top five or six team or are they maybe falling into the plan or do you think they even fall completely out of the plan? I don't think that's likely, but, but where do you, where do you see them finishing this season? Yeah, I don't 
the final plane. I was uh, I was looking at the like the last twenty four games today. It's not it's not a super easy twenty four. Um, the two teams that they're fighting most with are Miami and New York. Uh, New York is in six right now. Miami's in seven. So one of those three teams will be in yep. the seventh spot, having to win a play in game to make the playoffs. Um, and all three teams have the same um, like uh, opponent opponent winning percentage remaining. So like the same strength of schedule. But that's they all have difficult strengths of schedules. And it's pretty clear that right. Miami and New York are a little bit above the Nets at this point, I think. So even if the Nets go 500, 12 and 12, maybe a little worse than that, maybe a little better, to end the year, I could see them falling to seven, maybe to eight. I wouldn't see them falling past eight. But then again, I mean, you can still stick at six. Um, and then you start looking at playoff opponents like Milwaukee and Cleveland, and they're not really on that level anymore. But if you can say at five, mm-hmm. then maybe you get a fun first round matchup. Do you do you feel comfortable at all saying there's like do you think I mean outside of Milwaukee and Brooklyn, uh, sorry Milwaukee and, and Boston, which I think would be uh, like you'd be out armed in that situation. But do you think there's there's a world where the the Nets end up winning a first round series? Yeah, I do. Honestly, like I don't know. I watched that first game against Philadelphia. And they just kind of had their number. I, I know they lost. Um, there was some pretty bad officiating in the end mm-hmm. there. That was kind of, like, reported by the NBA. Um, yeah. But, like, the Sixers just looked gassed. And the Nets scheme kind of had them. Um, and I wouldn't pick them in any first-round series. But there's totally a world where they take a team to seven. Um, and they get hot. And it's a win. And someone is going home and, like, right. firing a coach. I could see it happen. Because <laughs> if you lose to the Nets in the first round, I mean, someone's gotta go. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. yeah and tough. we've seen it happen. I mean, we've seen it happen. You know, so I don't. I mean, I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility at all. Um, but somebody who's been a key kind of piece of the Nets turning it around this season and even establishing himself uh, and signing on to be the official Nets head coach, uh, and Jacques Vaughn, no longer has that interim title. Uh, he makes a lot of sense for this group. Um, where do you think they go, and do you think extending him was the right call? Where are you at on all things Jacques Vaughn? Um, yeah, I'm happy they extended Jacques Vaughn. Jacques deserves it. He's a great guy. He's been around the organization for a long time. Um, but And uh, I think the most interesting thing about the Jacques Vaughn extension is that it unofficially indicates that Sean Marks, the general manager, is also going to be extended. Uh, I've heard that it hasn't officially mm-hmm. happened, yeah. but it, it will. Um, because if if he was not to be, and theoretically you bring in a new general manager, they would be allowed to bring in a new coach. So if the coach is being extended, yep. his his boss will be too. Um, and that's real interesting right. and polarizing amongst Mets fans because Sean Marks was pretty widely loved in the borough for what he did building up that team. But there is totally a sentiment of like, I don't I don't know how you guys feel about this. Like, if you guys, if you see, if you oversee the collapse that just happened over four years, you don't deserve another try. Like, we're sorry, but mm-hmm. you don't. And yeah. That, that, I, well, I mean, actually, of, I, feel, I feel like that. I'm, I'm curious to see fair. how you feel about that, because from an outside perspective, I feel like it's hard to blame a lot of that on Sean Marks when 
the whole Kyrie saga just seemed like something that was completely out of his control, whether it be the the vaccine stuff that went down, the anti-Semitic stuff that went down earlier this season. A lot of that stuff was just it, it seemed like it was out of his control, out of a out of a general manager's control. Um, there's only so much a guy like that can do. And I think in terms of his role, which is building out the roster, he did a pretty good job. I think re-signing Claxton, I think not trading Claxton also specifically, that was a very important aspect of this. I think getting pieces like a Royce O'Neal and and refining the roster, I, I think in terms of building out the team, he's done a good job. But I guess in terms of managing personalities, you could question him. But I, I think you would know better. Do you, do you think that I'm off in, in saying that? That like maybe there's too harsh, that we're being too harsh on, on a guy like Sean Marks? No, I, I don't disagree with your stance in defense of the job that he's done. Um, he was he was he was tasked with something really difficult, which was maintaining a basketball team with these three personalities. Um, and I thought he built a really good roster this year. Last year's roster was definitely flawed with some older big men uh, like like Lamarcus Aldridge and yeah. Blake Griffin, kind of after they got outweighed by the Bucks in the playoffs. Um, but at yeah. a certain point. You can kind of point to the mistakes that um, he made non-roster building-wise, like hiring Steve Nash and allowing Kyrie Irving to return from his many controversies. And a lot of those, if not all of them, were from really heavy influence from Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant's agents and pressure from them. So you can say that March should have worked otherwise, but the Nets never said no to Kevin Durant. And then once they did, he was out of there. So should have they said no earlier? Right. Would have he been out of there earlier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like when when do you put your foot down? I guess that's the that's the question to have. But I, yeah, I think I think in terms of actually building out the team, I don't think he's done that bad of a job. I I'm interested because uh, he was obviously the one who kind of oversaw the early version of the Nets with the young fun team. You know what I mean? And to see him and Josai kind of get back to building that quote quote unquote culture, if you will, building out what this Nets team can be without the KD and Kyrie saga. I'm interested to see how they built that out because I think they do have like in terms of team building, they've shown that they're able to work around the margins to build out a fun team, even without the superstars. Um, and when, when talking about NBA teams, we oftentimes go back to this idea of the core, Right. And I mentioned this kind of in passing at the start of the, the the interview, but similar to how the Utah Jazz were perceived at the start of the season after trading their two stars, the Nets have this mishmash roster compiled of a lot of guys who play similar positions. They do similar things. Um, and in all honesty, it's just like they're, they're too stacked. It seems like there's 12, 13 guys who should be playing in a rotation. So do you think there's, there's any some – any sort of redundancy on the roster and I guess if you had to right now who would you classify as the core of this team moving forward good question yeah I think the I think the jazz comparison is great I know that's one that was being made internally I I got a text the day they traded Kevin Durant they were like they think they're the jazz now I'm like I mean okay if you say so um, the core, <laughs> the core at this point, uh, I mean, it's definitely Nick Claxton and Mikhail Bridges, two guys who are like top 10 defenders in this league, maybe, um, mm-hmm. really, really make their money on that end. 
And then the third guy who's who's on the younger side and really trying to butt in is Cam Thomas, the uh, the once streaky, now inflappable forty point scorer, who doesn't smile <laughs> but makes every single shot. Um, and I, I think Cam Thomas is hilarious because I've seen him do this in summer league games and G League games, and now he's scoring forty and doesn't give a damn on an NBA floor. And it's it's very impressive <laughs> how this this kid just does it wherever he goes. I love Cam. I love him. I I uh, I think he has, like you said, this inflammable thing about him. He also is just like a microwave score. Like mm-hmm. he has all the abilities to just go off and score forty on you. And sometimes that's needed in a basketball game on a core on a roster. I uh, I'm interested to see what he ends up being for the second half of this season for the next twenty five or so games because. How you incorporate him next to Bridges, next to Cam, next to Spencer, next to Claxton, that's going to be the interesting aspect for me. It's like, where do you find the touches for a guy like that who can be this microwave scorer for you? Um, Alec, anything else you want to mention before we head out of here? Anything you want to plug? Anything you want you got going on that you want to mention before we before we head out? Yeah, I uh, I wrote a story about about the Nets' newest players last week. It's on, it's on Nets Daily. Um, check that out. Uh, you should follow me on Twitter sure. at Alec underscore Sturm. I have some fun non-basketball writing coming up pretty soon. You should check that out if other things in life nice. interest you. Uh, and you should listen to the beginning of this podcast, which I'm sure you've already listened to, because I'm sure it's going to be a great beginning <laughs> of the podcast. Thank you. And thank you thank guys you. so much I for having me on. It. Hey, you're, you're a big movie and TV show guy also. Oh yeah. I should add oh, yeah. because every time I'm, I'm out here, every time I'm out here tweeting and talking about a review of a movie or TV show, I see you in the replies and I'm like, yes, that's my guy. So we, we gotta, we gotta do maybe an off season pod on some movie stuff. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, but yeah, that's great. Always I, great I was to, just to watching, I was just watching are. poker face on each on a, on Peacock. Check out Poker Face. All right, yeah, it's worth it's worth a watch. Okay. That'll be my plug. All right, cool. All right, sounds good. Poker Face, it's on the list. I'll <laughs> add it to the to the ever growing list. <laughs> Alec, uh, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for jumping on, and uh, to everybody who's joining us, thank you so much for listening to the Objective Basketball Podcast. You can go ahead and subscribe and do all those things that you guys usually do. And uh, from Lauren and I, we'll see you guys later. Peace out. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA.